Hey folks, I'm here today to tell you about Visible. Something unfortunate about wireless services, what you see isn't always what you get. But with Visible, what you see is what you get. No perception check required. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just $25 a month, taxes and fees included. If you're looking for a carrier that is upfront with no hidden fees, then go to Visible.com to make the switch. You don't need more than one line of wireless to save, and you're going to be getting unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Visible is the wireless carrier that's constantly operating from a zone of truth. In their quest for total transparency, Visible wants you to know the monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey everybody, welcome to the Dungeon Cast. I'm Brian. And I'm William. This is the podcast where we talk about everything tabletop role-playing games. And today we are talking about the Empire of Netheril. Hey Brian. Hey Will. How you doing today? The patrons have voted, and for that I am thankful. That they have. We're on that creep. <laughs> Thanksgiving it to them. We're Thanksgiving it to you guys, absolutely. <laughs> so I hope you like Forgotten Realms, Brian. Uh, yeah, it's been pretty good. Uh, like we talk about, we don't like to use it for our games necessarily, but no. it's fun to learn about. And there's lots to learn about there's it. There's so much. Because the patrons have voted in the most Forgotten Realms topic we've ever covered. Yeah, to man. Date. Besides like maybe the Drist episode or the Crinch Shinnabon. <laughs> Those are also very forgotten realms. Very forgotten realms. One of them is delicious. Um, I would argue though that this is even more forgotten realms-ish than those episodes. Dang. What is a Netheril? Well, not only is the Empire of Netheril a specifically forgotten realms concept, but it covers a huge amount of the forgotten realms historical timeline. Okay. It heavily includes gods and legendary devices and magic specific to the realms and requires that I explain a multitude of realms uh, specific peoples, entities, creatures, and more. I hope you like history lessons as well, because that is essentially what this episode's about to be. It's a just Will, we're just going to hang out in Will's story corner the whole time. So, welcome everybody to the history of Netheril. Nice. Let's get into it. Let's do it. So Netheril, also known as the Empire of Magic, was an ancient magocratic, magocratic human empire of Faerun over 5,000 years before the current date. I think it is pretty re widely regarded as the height of human civilization in the Forgotten Realms, and some would say simply the height of all civilization. Its name is known by pretty much everyone on the continent, and its influence is impossible to parse from the current civilizations across the continent. It reigned for 3,000 years. It stretched across the land and sky and under the sea. It reached heights of magical power only dreamed of since, and its power was such that even a single city-state that survived its fall was able to reestablish imperial rule over a vast region for another century over 1,400 years after the original empire fell. That's a pretty long time yeah. for empires and stuff to be kind of moving around that capacity oh okay. yeah definitely 
So, oh, yeah. And it all came crashing down due to the act of one man, an archmage by the name of Karsus, mm. one of the absolutely most powerful wizards to walk Faerun, and who, in attempting to become a god, instead fathered the single most infamous historical event in Faerunian history, the folly of Karsus. Uh, now only artifacts and ruins from this ancient empire remain. Um, new ones are still discovered to this day and are often coveted by those interested in Nethril's legacy, secrets, and power. I actually know all about this already. <laughs> Do you? How? Why? <laughs> I ran, uh, I run FBATs in the Forgotten Realms mm. very loosely. Very, yeah. But this is the thing I had to study the most for an episode that we did out, oh, in, yeah? the, out in the desert where... Oh, you went out to the desert. Yeah, oh, my uh -huh. goodness. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, it was... Um, okay. It was the episode. It's in season... Um, it's in season two mm -hmm. of FBATs, which hasn't aired yet, but it... Okay. It... Uh, we did the um, oh man, uh, the Rachel Ghoul like mm. he's League trying of to stuff. League of Shadows. He's trying to blow up the world, and he's got he's got bases like all over the world. So I was like, oh, Rachel Ghoul's gonna make me go out into the Forgotten Realms, and one of his bases. I was like, oh, that'd be cool. This is like, uh, yeah, sure. I'm not gonna spoil it because I know what happens. Okay, <laughs> okay, yeah, let's do it. So before we get into the age by age history of the empire, of which there are essentially nine ages, let's talk a bit about the understood culture and society of Netheril. Though this will be a generalized synopsis. Much like uh, real-life ancient Rome, what Netherese were like, how they went about their lives, where they lived, and what not really depends on exactly when and where they lived. Um, the ancient Romans of the Republic and the ancient Romans of the late Western Empire of Rome would likely not have very similar life views, religion, or anything else in common for that matter. Nor would the ancient village peoples who called... Uh, Nether, the elder, their leader, and the power-mad arcanist of floating enclaves during the Shadowed Age have many things in common. Okay. So during most of the Empire's reign, the Netherese people lived in a strict hierarchy, split into the nobles of High Netheril, living in flying enclaves miles above Toril, and the commoners of Low Netheril, settled in domains on the coast of the Narrow Sea. As an aside, the Narrow Sea doesn't exist anymore and hasn't for at least 1,800 years. Okay. That's how ancient the Nethril Empire is. And you're saying when you reference in that way, it's like to whatever current time the Forgotten Realms is, is running right in? now, yeah, okay. which right now I think is like 1492 uh, DR. Okay. Is it is it creeping upward or downward in number? Uh, upward now. Okay. So I, I think I do get into dates as we keep going down. Gotcha. Uh, and I had to translate these dates over from... So the major source uh, that I got this information from was from a um, a book. I think it was just called Nethril Empire of Magic. And it's from second edition. Okay. And it talks about all, about all this stuff in great detail. And it's great. But all the dates are in the calendar dates that they used in the empire. So completely different dates mm -hmm. from what's used everywhere else in the realm i see and okay. so i had to convert it over and i kept having to cross-reference wikis and go back to the it was a nightmare yeah there was no instagram to, or TikTok thank you to scroll. they were just writing fucking history yeah, yeah. so we're, we're but right now i believe it's year 1492 or 93 dr in like the quote-unquote current date mm -hmm. okay um give or take 10 years interesting all right um so, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. The Narrow Sea doesn't exist anymore. Uh, seas have come and gone since the inception of the Empire. During its glory years, the Empire of Magic, both high and low Netheril, would spread across the great stretch of Faerun. 
Uh, the segregation, Nethril divided the empire into both geographic and cultural terms, into the haves of high Nethril and the have-nots of low Nethril. The root of the segregation was tied to the discovery and development of mythalars by Netherese Arcanus. Okay. A mythalar is a Netherese device that allows access to vast amounts of raw magic. Uh, they look very much like crystal balls, but are about 150 feet in diameter, so they're huge. These, glo- these globes shed a very bright light, slim- similar to the sun, uh, with dimmer shapes and shadows moving across its surface. These magical devices are powered by the weave itself. Um, or say, should say were because they don't exist anymore, mm-hmm. and gave the wizards of Nithril tremendous powers. Uh, it allowed for them to develop the spells necessary to create their floating enclaves and craft quasi-magical items that were powered by the Mithalars themselves rather than directly with the weave. So these powerful wizards would wield these raw magic balls? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Nice. <laughs> yep. Um, the ancient empire of Netheril was governed by the Magocratic Council, the High Mages of Netheril, uh, which consisted of the leading wizards of High and Low Netheril. Uh, that makes it sound organized. It really wasn't organized. Basically, the way it actually worked was if you were a wizard that was powerful enough to make a Mithalar and then use that Mithalar to get your city into the sky, hey, welcome to the High Mages of Netheril. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> See, this is, uh, I use, I use like, uh, arcane spheres or whatever like mm-hmm. you know raw magic ball mine aren't raw i put condoms on mine i mean whoa like metal <laughs> i put them in like metal balls or something yeah yeah or like cages like they're too powerful to not be in some sort of apparatus you gotta cage your so balls you cage these balls the enclaves of high Nethril were home to the realm's nobility and share and they shared the language of loros which was written in the same script as draconic the domains and outlying colonies of low Nethril were home to Netheril's middle and commoner classes and were greatly influenced by the clerics of the Netherese pantheon. They spoke Netherese in the cities of Low Netheril. So, um, I'm trying to think of if there's like a Roman Empire analog. I'm sure there is. I guess, I guess, no, that wouldn't work either. Because I'm pretty sure they still all spoke Latin in Rome. It wasn't like a d- division of language between the nobility and the. But, anyways. During the height of the Netheril Empire, 54 floating cities soared over the skies of Faerun. They were by and large considered bastions of enlightenment, peace, and ingenuity, giving the mages of Netheril sanctuaries from which they could continue their arcane research, safe from the distractions and dangers of the surface world. Though this isn't an entirely false statement, the ruling class of Netheril were far from benevolent. Okay, so cities are flying. Cities are flying. And uh, the mages are like, we're doing this because it's created a safe bastion for us to continue our research, you know, away from distraction. And we are bastions of enlightenment and peace. But really, they're just power-hungry pieces of shit. Yeah, they left all the sexy people down on the earth, or on (laughs) Faerun and Toril, and they were like, no sexy people allowed up here. We are reading. We are reading. (laughs) Thank you very much. Each enclave was raised and often ruled by one of the Empire's powerful arcanists. Um, many of the floating enclaves of Netheril were carved right out of the natural world, while others were existing cities that were elevated and taken over by the Empire's mighty Arcanists. Um, so, go ahead. Oh, I was going to talk about um, Nikola Tesla. Like, he could have just made a floating city instead of, like... I guess. You know. Sure. <laughs> crushing his nuts or whatever he did. Is that what he did? Yeah, there's, like, rumors that he castrated himself so that he could, like, not be tempted by the urges so that he could study harder. <laughs> Not the urges. <laughs> Not those. <laughs> um, we're good up I, here. I we have like... our raw magic balls. <laughs> we got our mythalars. You guys can't like... watch. Stay down there. <laughs> uh, 
The lands of Low Nethril consisted, consisted of scattered towns, land-bound enclaves known as domains and roaming barbarian tribes. The domains were ruled by the lesser arcanists of the Empire, who had yet to master the creation of the Mithalars that enabled the ancient wizards to lift their cities from the face of Toril. Each domain exhibited specific terrain, weather, and characteristics that were alterable depending on the whim of the ruling arcanist. Okay. Unlike the nobility of the flying enclaves, the commoners of Low Netheril, also known as the Free Folk, were seen as chattel by their societal superiors. Big surprise. The arcanists of the Empire used them for labor or subjects for magical experimentation. Heavily influenced by the priests of their varying religions, the serfs of Low Netheril looked to their gods for a better life, free from the subjugation of the Empire's majocratic rulers. Is chattel cattle that can talk? <laughs> Shatty cattle? Absolutely. I'm getting the context here, but like, it's pretty much it, right? Um, you know, it's not servants. cattle that can talk, but chattel is, I believe, cattle. It's like livestock, right? Isn't that what chattel is? It's like beast of burden. I don't know this word. Yeah, hold on. Every once in a while, there's a word in here I don't know. Chattel. I, we had a whole conversation about chattel back in one of the Demon Lords episodes. Oh, it did not stick, yeah, clearly. Well, I think it was the Orcus episode where he saw the gods as chattel. Ooh. Yeah, and then we made, like... We made a lot of jokes about Orcus being a loser that no one liked. <laughs> Orcus is a loser that a lot of people like. But Man, that was like six years ago, bro. It sure was. Um, chattel, a personal possession. So we're both wrong. Um, I like chatty cattle better. Chatty cattle. <laughs> um, okay, so now that you have a basic idea of what Netheril was. And let's what chattel is. And what chattel is. Let's go into its beginning and make our way through all nine various eras or ages of the Empire in chronological order. The first age. Starting with the first age. <laughs> so the first age. Netheril's history began over 5,000 years ago at a site of seven fishing villages in northern Faerun. Fenwick, Gers, Gillen, Gustav, Morin, Nasif, and Janik. Okay. The villages made the decision to band together for mutual protection against marauding orcmans. The I, I don't know why I thought you were about to have a joke about orcs in a in a band, but anyways. <laughs> <laughs> the shaman king of Gurs, called Nether the Elder, created a calendar to celebrate the union. The coalition of villages was named Seventon, since the marriage of seven villages created the new foundation. Great joy reigned through Seventon, the people celebrating both their first steps towards civilization and the wisdom of their leaders. We could do like an orc band, like cut, like doing songs called like Seventon and like the seven, the seven fish or whatever the fuck. Oh yeah, like, absolutely. You know, that'd be rad. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> this was not to last long though. A few years later, King Nether uh, renamed the King Netheril, which meant Nether's land. Uh, he demanded more and more tribute from the United Villages, and many feared that Seventon would collapse. The citizens from the United Villages cried out in protest, and the future for the kingdom began to look very dim. God damn fascists. I know, so so quick. That yeah, all, every time, as every soon as one creeps in there, it <laughs> fucking goes to hell. One poison dirk, which is just a, a knife. I don't know if you know what a dirk is. Okay. One poison dirk signaled the end of Nether the Elder's reign, and a strong and just successor, Nether the Younger, <laughs> stepped in to take control. Always. No one had ever learned who held the lethal blade, and frankly, no one cared. Uh, they were just glad to be rid of the last guy. Uh, the stress of living under a tyrannical, egotistical leader fell away, and the people lived in peace once again, free to concentrate on trade. The nation's name, however, stood the test of time. Yeah, it's okay. His kid will be better, right? Right. Fourteen years after the formation of Netheril, the Erlani elves approached the loosely tied villages. Until this time, elves were a mere myth, 
imaginary creatures sent by the gods to lend a hand and redirect erred humans to correct to the correct path. Um, I, let's stop here for a second. Nethril was so long ago, people didn't know elves were real. <laughs> okay. Elves were aliens. Aliens showed up and were like, you're going to destroy the fucking planet. No, elves actually had actually <laughs> been there for a very, very long time. They actually have had empires. No, yeah, they were, they were just hiding or whatever. Yeah, they were just hiding. In the fae. Yeah. Oh, well, not really in the Fae, because uh, the whole elves and Fae being, like, a t thing tied together was, like, way later down the road in D&D. &D. What? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you gotta, okay. I okay. thought that was, like, We're having this conversation. the inception of elves in the Fae? So, or? what I said isn't exactly true. The thing is, in D&D, &D, especially when you go way back to the beginning of D&D, &D, the idea of elves was taken directly from Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. But Lord of the Rings elves are based heavily on Norse mythology, mm -hmm. which has nothing to do with anything fey. That's all Celtic stuff. So the thing is, Celtic mythology, I don't know if it has elves like, like per se elves, but it has a lot of like elf-like beings and a lot of like fey spirits and stuff. Okay. There's a lot of similarities. Mm -hmm. Um so later on, as D&D keeps developing and, and starting to distance itself away from Lord of the Rings and Tolkien and, like, the Norse version of things, um, it kind of just starts blending everything together. Oh, okay. I got you. Yeah. So the thing is, all this would have existed in, like, early second edition, so I don't know if Faye was a thing then and if it was tied to elves then. Gotcha. Okay. Where was I? <laughs> So the Alani elves approach uh, the loosely tied villages. And until this time, elves were a mere myth, imaginary creatures sent by the gods to lend a hand and redirect arid humans to the correct path. Netheril bowed its head in awe of these messengers of the earth spirits and venerated them. It took several years for the elves to convince these scarcely civilized humans that they were mortals. Uh, with this accomplished, the elves established trade with Netheril, beginning a friendship that lasted for centuries. So one of the many things the elves traded was magic. For the next century, trade continued with the elves, and magic use in the small nation grew in leaps and bounds. Unlike many other cultures, magic use was considered essential, and everyone who turned the age of 13 was taught the ways of magic. Those who truly excelled at the arts of magic became known as Arcanists, a rapidly rising political faction that was second only to the nobility of the nation. The importance placed on magic helped bring Netheril to the top of Toril's magical nations. So... New young nation, the elves become friends with them, start teaching them magic, and they just take off with it. Like, these people super get into magic. Okay, nice. And now we're entering... The Nether Age. <laughs> the Nether Age. So in year negative 3,533 DR marks one of the most important dates in Netheril's history. After 300 years of studying magic under the Erlani, the Nether Scrolls were discovered. This set of 100 scrolls provided the Netherese with an incredible jump in spellcraft unseen in the history of Toril. This was an age of tremendous learning in Netheril that lasted until the birth of its greatest archwizards. So real quick, Nether Scrolls. Yeah, can we? Yeah. The Nether Scrolls are a set of small scrolls that describe fundamental magical theory. Each scroll is made of precious metal, namely gold or platinum, and uh, made flexible like paper, with silvery letters floating upon the surface. While the Nether Scrolls have no direct magical powers, they provide a vast body of supply of arcane knowledge. It takes eight hours of study a day for 30 days in order to even begin to comprehend the contents of a single scroll. Uh, when a reader gains sufficient understanding, rereading the scrolls provides additional knowledge and information. There is no limit to the amount of information one scroll can contain. Okay. The Nether Scrolls were created 30,000 years ago by the Saruk, a Saurian race, 
considered to be the progenitor race of Figrum. We've talked about the Saruk one time on the show. It was during the Naga episode. They're dinosaurs? They are dinosaur people. That's fucking wild. <laughs> they are the original people of Faerun. They are okay. long extinct. Right. Was it a meteor? I don't know. They just find like some of their bones every once in a while. Yes. Okay. Um, they are responsible for a lot of like the, in Forgotten Realms lore, the Saruk are responsible for like the creation of humans and elves and stuff. They're the progenitor race. And they had an empire so long ago, no one even remembers it exists. So they did like what some fucking wonk science on themselves and like. Probably on, like, the various apes of the land and stuff. Oh, weird. Okay. I don't know. I don't know the details of the Saruk. This isn't uh, yeah. the Saruk episode. I don't want to step on a landmine here. Let's move on. The scrolls provided a huge leap forward in Nethery's spellcraft, which they favored. A- you see what I mean by this is the most favorite uh, Forgotten Realms episode ever? Like, yeah, we got to go we all. It keeps stopping. I got to go back 30,000 years to tell you there was dinosaur people that created elves. <laughs> And wrote uh, and made a tablet full of infinite knowledge. Exactly. Several of them. Hundreds of them. <laughs> the scrolls provide a huge leap forward uh, in Netherese spellcraft, which they favored over the magic that they learned from the elves. The next 200 years saw the power of the Netherese arcanist increase by leaps and bounds. A century or so later, the Netherese finally discovered a realm of the stout, short humanoid creatures who dwelled within the hills and mountains. The creatures came to be known as the Dwarves of Delzown. Okay. Again, they didn't know dwarves existed. Yeah, because dwarves, no. dwarves are just digging. All these mountains are brand new. Exactly. We've got a lot of work to do. We've got a lot of work to do. It took a few years to discover what each culture wanted from the other. The Netherese found it nearly impossible to sell their new magical items and spell research techniques to the dwarves. But the dwarves found a steady purchaser of finely crafted metal weapons in the Netherese, and that single commodity consumed most of the trading between Delzoon and Etheril. That makes sense. Yeah. So now... The Mithalar era. We are entering the Mithalar era. I said it right. You did, yeah. Uh, Or, I mean, as far as I fucking know, you did. Right. (laughs) Mithalar. Mythalar. Um, <laughs> with the discovery of the Nether Scrolls behind them, the Netherese now concentrated spellcraft in the arcane arts with hitherto unprecedented zeal. The Mythalar era provided the one invention that would shape Netheril's future in ways no one could possibly foresee. It took its creators to amazing heights of power, and its beginning is marked by the birth of the wizard who would craft this invention. His name was Iolam. I'm going with Iolam. 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 Maybe maybe it's just Ulam. You know, like the eyes. Ulam. I like that. I'm going with Iolam. Okay. Okay. One of the mightiest human arch wizards to ever walk the lands of Turil, Iolam was a major catalyst for Nethery spellcraft, training over 3,000 Arcanists. Without his imposing presence, the magical mythalar that allowed Nethril cities to float in the air might never have been created. In negative 2,900-ish DR, Ayalam created the Mithalar. This magical device dug deep into the weave of magic and gave access to raw, unfiltered magic. It allowed Netherese Arcanist to create magical items without the need of a permanency spell and provided the constant magical force that allowed entire mountains to hover in the air. Ayalam is the Walter White of the Forgotten Realms. I guess so. (laughs) (laughs) Making the most pure shit. Yep. Uh, with the advent of the Mithalar, Arcanists were able to create magical items that would, in effect, be permanent incantations as long as they stayed within the one-mile radius effect of the Mithalar. Uh, the first of these quasi-magical items was created by Ayalam I- himself. He created an elaborate mantle that allowed the wearer to see in the dark and hear the thoughts of all those within 20 feet. 
weird. That's yep, creepy. That's a okay. weird first thing to make, bro. Yeah. <laughs> Some paranoia just already in there. Once this magical item was created, the floodgates were opened, and the nation of Netheril was suddenly faced with a glut of magical items. The prices of such quasi-magical items dropped to one-tenth the going rate for real magical items. The cost of traditional magical creations, those that required a permanency spell, uh, rose to three times the going rate since only those who left the range of the Mithalar required such items. <laughs> Ever wonder what your friends are thinking when you're out and about? Minecrown, buy it today. Eight times the price of normal magic, but I guarantee it's worth it. There you go. I right. love it. Ilam not only invented the Mithalar, but was also the first person to utilize them in the creating of floating enclaves. Nice. Using a form of E-turns levitation and and Chronomancer's gravity reversal, oh, shit. he placed the Mithalar in the center of a mountain base, rotated the mountain point down, giving him a large circular flat surface upon which to build a city. Yep. He called the new structure Ilan's Enclave, because he's so creative. Uh-huh. And it soon became a flying city as people from all across Netheril flocked to him, wanting to live in the clouds high above the threat of those who fear and don't understand magic. It was bullshit getting up there for, like, the first few times, though. Oh, I bet. Dude, can you imagine, like, all the poor animals on that mountain? <laughs> <laughs> He flips it over and he like just fucking flipping it over. Hundreds of goats just falling to their doom. Exactly. Oh. <laughs> All the goats and deer and rabbit, they're just fucking falling from the sky, bro. Damn. Can you imagine getting stuck like you're in your rabbit hole and then you're on the ceiling and then you try to leave and you can't? I bet the birds were okay with it though. I bet the birds were fine. <laughs> yeah, they were pretty. They were pretty. They were good. like, oh shit. Flat, flat, flat. Exactly. <laughs> And then once it's there, they could go up there and they can like use all those dangling trees and stuff. And yeah, yeah, it's like bird paradise. Yeah, except for like the you know anybody that had eggs. You know, oh yeah, no, that, no, yeah, that was my yeah. nest, all yeah. my babies. Lots of splattered eggs. Dang. So as a leader and creator of Ayalam's enclave, the arch wizard, arch wizard was in absolute control. He allowed the people to have a say, and he sometimes took their advice and wishes to heart. But when it came right down to hard decisions, Ayalam made them all. It was his domain. Mm. Um, that That is going to spell the rest of this nation's history. Because that's what all the other wizards are going to start doing. Oh, they make their own magic city mm -hmm. and like this and is my house. And do what they want. Yes, okay. exactly. Yeah. While Netheril was concentrating its efforts to increase the number of floating cities, uh, which by, oh God, that's, that's an empire date. So I don't even know. What that, that would translate to like negative 2,600. DR had risen to 13 cities. Okay. Man, why did I leave a fucking empire date in there? The orcs <laughs> were feeling the pressure of extinction at this point. Oh, they had no one to pillage because they're all on upside down <laughs> yeah, mountain houses. Going to the sky. What do we do? I can't steal all their stuff up there. I'm out of bird eggs. I caught as many as I could. There's no more goats. All the goats have rotted. I have so much goat skin, but I can't eat the goat skin. They felt the only way to continue as a species was to rid the lands of the Netherese, and so a major offensive was set against the cities of Zenith and Conch, which I'm imagining are both land-bound cities. Uh -huh. More than a wizard, teacher, and inventor, Ayalam was also a warlord, Joy. He led a major battle bringing thousands of Netherese spellcasters and warriors to mount an attack against the largest concentration of orcs in Netheril's land at the time. Fourteen days later, the orcs retreated, but not before 18,000 bodies lay rotting on the slopes and valleys of the rampant peaks, 10,000 of whom were orc corpses. Dang. 
It's going to get worse. Ayalam, however, was not finished. He wanted to find out where the orcs were stationed, and he wanted to remove the threat forever. He tired of the loss of people, food, and caravan cargo to the looting beasts. These are his words, not mine. Mm. And nothing was going to stop this conflict until every orc was exterminated. After years of scouting, tracking, and scrying, Ayalam's outriders and seers found the major habitats uh, with more than 50,000 troops. Ayalam began his largest campaign, a war that lasted 16 months. So some genocide? That's yes, great. Everybody Everybody yes, loves genocide. Lots of genocide, yep. Called the excursion into extinction. Ayalam <laughs> led 32,000 troops to their death, but he succeeded. No orc was able to escape Ayalam's gauntlet since the whole area was surrounded and magical gates set up throughout the hills, allowed the instantaneous transport of troops from one location to another in order to block all points of desertion. Uh, over 140,000 orcs were slaughtered. Uh, their bodies red in the snows of two mountains that became known as Bone Hill and Thunder Peak. Okay. Yep. Good job, Ilam. You fucking fascist. I hate this dude. Oh yeah, you're dude. He's not even the worst guy. There's gonna be worse guys. Yeah, we're gonna get to Carsis, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's pretty bad. He yeah. He's he's bad. He's an idiot. But yeah. anyways, the Mithilar <laughs> Age is capstone by one last major event. This one, a tragic blow to the might of the Netherese. Half of the Nether Scrolls, one complete set, were stolen. Uh, the two copies, luckily, were separated in order to assure that one copy would remain in case of fire or other loss. The newer-looking set was stolen and never found. The storage vaults used to contain the scrolls were sealed, alarmed, and trapped to the best of Netheril's magical ability. But the scrolls were nonetheless removed without setting off the alarms, unsealing the vault, or activating the traps. Okay. They're just gone. So they just hid that? What'd they do? The I, don't, I don't know what happened to them. Okay, <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't go sleuthing after them. I was oh, like, yeah. I got more Netheril. Right, like, like they they vanished from Netheril, and now they're out of the episode. Exactly, so you can go figure out what's going on with yeah, those. Yeah, there's later. one set left. It will also disappear later. The Silver Age. <laughs> it's the Silver Age, guys. The next 300 year age of Netheril began with the founding of the Empire's new ruling council, the High Mages of Netheril, in negative 2758 DR. During this era, the Netherese discovered the deposits of valuable ore in passageways, in passageways beneath the Great Peak Mountains, um, established the mines of Decanter, and founded small colonies and outposts in the north. During Netheril's territorial expansion, Netherese at home were in tune to another expansion of their own. The constantly available magic from Mithilars allowed relatively low-level arcanists to create quasi-magical items for themselves, and these arcanists were all looking for the magical invention that would allow them to retire. Yep, just like me. <laughs> Most of these new magical items were designed with the common person, quote-unquote the middle class, mm -hmm. in mind. This group of people were the ones in greatest numbers and carried with it the greatest promise for get-rich-quick schemes. Okay. These small-time arcanists had the mentality, make an item cheap, simple to use, and make it appear to be invaluable. Basically turn a nicety into a necessity. Like a ring of cold? Like change your drinks to from room temp right, to icy? Right, exactly. Okay. This led to an equivalent of running water and electricity in every room, in every home throughout the Empire, amongst other modern mar marvels of magic, all powered by the Mythalars found in every city. Mm. In time, the Netherese archwizards began to feel cramped in their floating cities. As more and more cities rose into the air, they feared their numbers would grow until their presence blotted out the sun. They felt expansion was in order. They expanded their sphere of divination to the east and to the west, but found the land to the west more to their liking. 
you know, if everybody has a Sky City, then it's just going to be like the land up here, you know? <laughs> exactly. It's right. not cool. Exactly. It's not cool now that everyone's doing it. And thus the nation of Netheril truly became an empire bent on conquering its neighbors. Ah. Uh, which leads us to the Golden Age. <laughs> golden, golden Age. Golden Age. Golden Age. The next millennium was a period of great advancements in magical understanding, prodigious expansion, and vast change for the Empire of Netheril. The beginning of which was marked by the birth of Jariah Kronos, the founder of the Chronomancy School of Magic, uh, that they don't teach you in your player's handbook. In negative 2207DR, it was also marked by some extremely tragic events and blows to the Empire. Um, real quick, I also want to... So we, we mentioned, like, ILM, right? Mm -hmm. And now we're mentioning the Chronomancer. Um... I've also mentioned that, you know, thousands of years here, centuries there, um, none of these motherfuckers ever die because they're arch wizards. What? So <laughs> they're just still they're here? They're all going to be around when we're at the end. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. ILM's still very much alive. He's still doing his dumb shit in his dumb city. So and now, now we got a new guy named Chronomancer. We're in the we're in the Old Testament of the Forgotten Realms where people just live for you know exactly. forever. Right. Okay. And this is through magic that they're doing this. But all yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, through magic, all things are possible. Exactly. Um, oh, yeah. So it was also marked by some extremely tragic events and blows to the Empire. Netheril began lifting one enclave into the sky per year. Soon, dozens of these magnificent monoliths of magic rode the air currents uh, or moved in orbital patterns around the loosely defined borders of the Netheril Empire. And that's got to be crazy. Like, you're, you know, you live on the mountain next to Ethereal. You're not in their borders. And you just, just see floating cities, like, just orbit by. And you yeah. know what time of year it is because, oh, there goes Ilum's enclave. Must be winter. Yeah, it's probably an event. <laughs> like, you go up, you get to the top of your mountain to watch the neighboring mountain, like, rise up into the air and then rotate 180 degrees. Oh, God, yeah. It's like, go. there go the goats. There go the goats. Damn it. All those goats. You guys want to get the wheelbarrows. Yeah. <laughs> Get your, get your big wagon, Jeff. We're going to go get some goat skin. They're flipping another mountain. <laughs> Man, crazy times in the Forgotten Realms. Yeah, it's like if when SpaceX launches a rocket, except you get, like, free meat. Lots of free meat. Oh, God. Um, each archwizard who created uh, their enclave heeded ILM's example, setting up their own laws and guidelines that the enclave's residents had to follow. As time went on, the people had less say, less and less say, and their voices regarding changes in government, tax rates, and the such were drowned out by the Archwizard's lust for more power. Mm. Uh, the Enclave soon became a vehicle to provide funding for the Archwizard's spell research, a staging areas uh, for campaigns against their uh, other Archwizards, and excursions into the quasi-imperial-elemental planes. Uh, they also explored the depths of the Sea of Fallen Stars and established three undersea crystal dome colonies that came to be known as Deep Netheril. In the following century, the subaqueous Netherees enslaved the Sarosian aquatic elves because, of course, they fucking did. Of course, they did. The colonies were destroyed by the high mages of, oh, that's a word, Aracelamelar. <laughs> yeah. Cool. In a catastrophic undersea explosion so large, it created the Serloon Ser and Selgant bays. So they created new bays in the sea. Ah, man. Okay. Well, I don't like the Netherese. They're assholes. Oh, it's an empire. That's like yeah. that's the name of it's empire, right? Social commentary going yeah. on here right now. Netheril's success had led to an uncounted number of enemies, and there was never a time without some rising menace during the Golden Age. The Archwizards had a, to spend a lot of time dealing with enemies from both the surface world and from within their own ranks. 
This included destructive acts by Nethery citizens rebelling against the magical aristocracy, as well as the non-humans that swarmed around and within Netheril's borders. What is so golden about all this shit? Just that they were doing a lot of stuff? The, the golden part is that, like, this era... Mm -hmm. You gotta remember, like, the people who named the eras are way, way, way after. They weren't okay, calling yeah. this the golden era during, although they might have been. Sure. Um... But um, this is like a, a reflective. It's like when we look back at an old thing, we, we could say the golden era was here because like this is when this civilization reached the height of its power. Yeah, is that what's going? That's yeah. my that's it's, my it's the height of its question. power. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Because they're making they're they got a sky castle per year and yeah, the, they got just all the sky castles and they got undersea cities. castles. Yeah, they, they got global cities. Yeah, they killed all the orcs. Like yeah. all the orcs are dead. Yeah, okay. exactly. So. Yay. Okay, we got, okay, we got it. We got it. <laughs> in 1896 DR, nine men broke into the most holy and magical chamber chamber of Ayalam the Demi-Divine. That's in quotations. Okay. Uh, uh, killing nine guards in the process and losing seven of their number to steal 24 parts of the remaining Nether Scrolls. Um, when the thieves escaped to the surface world, a manhunt began. The thieves, fearful of the Archwizard's retribution, pounded the priceless golden scrolls into indiscernible baubles, then sold them. These gold nuggets uh, received about 260 gold pieces in coins. Fuck. It's better than nothing if that's it's what you're going to do. Nothing. Yeah, so 24 of the 50. So there's, at this point, 26 left. pieces of the Nether Scroll left out of the original 100. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> the first enclave, um, so Floating City, mm -hmm. fell in negative 1657 DR when the Floating City of Sunrest yielded to the effects of an ill-planned spell research. Okay. The city hailed the impending creation of a spell called Sunrest Sunshock, which was an early attempt to, at an ultra-powerful meteor swarm spell. Oh, wow. <laughs> but an accident occurred. Uh-huh. Uh, the spell probably worked correctly, especially when eyewitness accounts from the city of Remembrance reported a blinding flash of light from the west with a deafening roar that followed a few minutes later. Those who watched were horrified to see the whole enclave fell, fall to the ground into a heap of rubble and stone. No one survived the accident. Is this why they're called the city of Remembrance? Like, Pepperidge Farm remembers when the Sky City <laughs> fell and killed all those fools. You know, I didn't catch that, but I don't think that's... I think that was just the name of the city. They've been remembering. They've, They've been, been seeing been all kinds of shit. <laughs> all right, let's take a short rest. All right. It's the grand adventures of Ilian and Bian. And, and that, Bian, is the story of the Empire of Netheril. Uh, yeah, it's a... It's a lot. That was a lot. Yes, it's quite the extensive empire they have. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how much of that I retained, but I'm gonna, gonna try to remember that. I don't know. Why did you tell me all that? Well, I figured we were on this hike and we needed to kill some time, and yeah. I happened. It happened to be on my mind. It's true. It was an interesting. It was an interesting story. Hey, listen. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking ahead. I'm seeing a cave, and I want to go inside of it. What do you think? You want to check it out? Baron, we don't have time to go inside caves. We're trying to get to the top of this mountain. Maybe it's a shortcut. Maybe. There's a lot of footprints going towards the cave. I just, you know. Fine. Okay, fine. We uh, could take a short sabbatical into the into the cave. Okay. Take a break. And That'd be got, nice. We got to get back to hiking for Creator's Crater is at the top of this mountain. That's right. And the, the, the shard of, what was it again? The shard of substantial supporters awaits us. Ever since we changed the name, I just cannot keep on track with it. <laughs> the important thing is that it is a piece of the pendant of Plenty's patrons. Yes, uh, it, it will. Um, it... Right now, we only have one, but we need as 
many as we can gather. And it filled up my paints, and I'm 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 very excited about it. Yes. At our so, adventure. Let's just go into your cave. There's a lot of switchbacks, and I would really think we we'll need make a you change, happy. change of scene. It's fine. Right. Let's go lead the way. It's dank in here. It's a cave. Yeah, it is. Uh, dank caves. We're back to it. No. Uh, never never makes me feel more like a du- like a dungeon delver than going to a, a nice cave, you know? That's true. Yo, you're not wrong there. There's so many stalagmites. I know that the M means they're coming out of the ground. M for mud, right? It's, it's C for ceiling, stalactite. Hang tight to the ceiling. That's how I remember it. I'm going. I'm gonna go with what you just said. Oh fuck! What's whoa. going on? Whoa! An earthquake! Ah. Whoa. whoa! Oh my god! We're turning. We're turning upside down. What's happening, alien? What's happening? <laughs> this can't be a coincidence. I I mentioned the Empire Netheril's floating cities. Could could this really be happening? Ah. Ah. <laughs> Stop yelling for a minute. I have to listen. Yes, there it is. Bien, do you hear them? The bleating of a thousand dying goats falling oh. to the face of the earth. They know they are doomed. Oh, it's coincidence. Is it coincidence that we went into the cave? It's, it's, it's very fortunate that we're... Oh my god, there's just so many goats dying. They're falling to their death, Celia. Yes, yes. There's nothing we can do. No, no, the goats are long, long... Uh, How did this happen? It must be someone wielding the shard of substantial supporters. Can we use ours to flip this thing up back upside down? No, I'm scared. We've, we've used too much of it to renew your paints. That's not my fault. <laughs> it just did it by itself. It, it is directly your fault for you. You're the one doing all the painting. That's true. I didn't know it was. I'm sorry. All right. I'm sorry, ghost. We have to find our way through this cave system uh, to I the killed them. bottom of, of I, this mountain. I killed all the goats. <laughs> yes. All their lives are on your hands. Oh God! Oh, should we go into the cave? We're already in the cave. Well, like deeper, and you know. Yes, I don't see uh, another possibility. We have to find our way to the base of this mountain now, and find whoever has the shard. The cave was going down. Now it's going up. So I guess it's still really the top. Yeah. Are we looking for the top? Like the new top, or are we looking for the bottom top? We're, We're looking for the new top. The new top. Okay, let's do that. Let's go. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify is great. They're taking businesses of all sizes, cradling them in their arms to help them grow by giving them the tools they need. 
Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success at every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dungeoncast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dungeoncast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dungeoncast. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. So wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash realm we've returned indeed we have we are fucking back indeed we are yeah um hey this is a patreon voted episode that i apologize that i'm sick for guys yeah we're uh it's a heavy edit so hopefully you don't hear too much of it oh there it goes uh, <laughs> If you want to support Ilian and Beeren on their quest for the shard of plenteous patrons and the shard of substantial supporters, su- shard of substantial supporters and subsequent shards, which they will go to retrieve until we get an advertiser. Think on a side quest. You can do so <laughs> on patreon.com slash dungeoncast. Right now, they're just advertising our Patreon. Yeah, let's get to it. The age of discovery. It's the age of discovery. Oh. A number of profound arcane advancements were made during the 500 years following the Golden Age. Mm. In negative 1205 DR, miners found something that would change their lives forever. The gems known as Shardolins. An arcanist known as Alorian examined the gems as the miners brought up the quote-unquote useless rocks to her. (laughs) She was amazed... At the degree of magic the stones seemed to possess, uh, before long she realized that the gems could hold a single spell that was cast into them, later releasing the magic when the fragile gem was crushed. The discovery launched the empire into an 
expedition frenzy that lasted for more than 500 years. Jeez. The discovery of the Chardolin gems caused many of the Netherese enclaves to intensify their efforts in mining the surrounding hills and mountains. Many of the archwizards believed even greater prizes awaited discovery, and they invested huge sums of money in an effort to be the first to find them. Next in line of importance behind Chardolins was spell jamming, or flying ships into realm space. The Skyward Realms were believed to be the next great frontier for raw materials, such as mined ores, spellcraft, and discovered magical items. And the enclave of Yeoman's Loft became the main spelljamming port in the nation of Netheril. This is the throwing spaghetti phase of the Forgotten Realms. Yes. <laughs> the Yeoman's Loft explorers, however, came to be responsible for horrifying racial experiments, basically vivisecting anything they ran across. What? Okay. This gave the Netherese, the only humans to have ventured into realm space, a very bad name and a horrid reputation akin to the fear gener uh the fear generated when an illithid spell jamming ship was seen. Damn. Yeah, you, so people you, would see a Nethril spell jamming ship and they'd fucking run. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, this dread did nothing but separate the Netherese from the spell jamming community already in space and made trade nearly impossible. So, in fact, Netherese ships were attacked on sight. Okay. Ober yeah, Oberon, an arcanist born during this time in Ethereal's history, tried his best to mend his nation's reputation in space, but it was to no avail. 100 years after the first ship ventured above Toril's surface, Netheril recalled the last one. The tremendous expense of armoring and defending their ships far exceeded any profits to be made in realm space. Since the Netherese were unsuccessful in creating their own helms and other spelljamming items, Excuse me, being forced to rely on the arcane for such materials. They decided to drop out of realm space. Dang, so they just went and fucked up realm space and came back. <laughs> yeah, basically. They're like, this is hard. And they went home. <laughs> yeah, it, it was basically like, by this time, the Empire was, was just so imperial. Like, they didn't see what they were doing was so wrong because it's so ingrained in their culture mm. that, like... They had just this complete inability to actually have like um, like lines of communication or parlays between different cultures. They just started grabbing things and cutting them up. You know what I mean? Yeah, they like lost anything all their that humanity. Is, yeah, anything that wasn't empire was for for empire use. You know what I mean? Like, what a way to look at the world. All right, moving on. The shadowed age. The shadowed age. Uh, the Shadowed Age of Netheril brought the first inklings of what was to befall the Netherese. It was a time when the shadows of doom crept around the Netherese landscape. It is considered the last age of Netheril, though we have two more eras still to talk about afterwards. Okay. And it began with the birth of the mage Karsis and negative 696DR. Many great arcanists were born in Netheril, and many of them outlived their own civilization by centuries, uh, typically by lichdom. Mm. Um, while many of the most powerful Netherese were arch wizards, it wasn't necessarily a requirement. Of all those who did survive beyond the fall of Netheril, however, none were as great as Karsus. Karsus's first spellcasting came at the tender age of two when he instinctively cast a cantrip. Uh, young Karsus found himself learning spells almost inherently as though he always knew them. The local priesthood of Mistral, so remember, we have Mistra 1.0 and Mistra 2.0, but before them, there was Mistral. Right. Daughter of Shar and Sahanin. Mm -hmm. When Sahanin blasted Shar in the chest with her fist. <laughs> Not her moonbow? Sure, her moonbow. <laughs> Which is just her fist. She Well, she, she <laughs> launched her essence at her sister, and it 
it made her sister half melt and gross. Mistral was born. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, the local priesthood of Mistral took an immediate interest in the young man and trained him. Uh, they tried to indoctrinate him into their church hierarchy, but he was not interested. He didn't believe that putting his faith in the polytheistic structure would do him any good. He believed himself worthy of a god's stature. This, of course, made him the perfect candidate for archwizardry, since all of the archwizards believed in only themselves. Okay. Carsis, at the age of 22, became the youngest archwizard ever. To gain this title, one had to create a mythalar, carve an enclave from a mountain, <laughs> flip that mountain upside down, flip that bad boy, uh, erect a city upon it, and then claim it as their own. Okay. For several months of his, uh, God, you know, I bet you before it was this flat desert land that it became, it was probably just a whole mountain range. Yeah. And that mountain range is just gone now. Well, sort of. Okay. We'll get into it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... Uh, for several months after this feat, Carsis was unable to procure businesses and residences primarily due to his usefulness. Mm. He decided that if magical might alone couldn't attract citizens to his enclave, perhaps an image of success would. So Carsis hired some of the best architects in the land to create buildings that defied the very laws of gravity and physics. These structures eventually became known as some of the greatest arcanists, colleges, and universities in all of Netheril. The uniqueness of the structures and the hope of having such a building for themselves lured people to Carsis's enclave, and the city became successful. Nice. It's good good work. Before we get to Carsis's folly and the fall of the Empire, let's talk about some key disasters that contributed to Netheril's destruction before Carsis accidentally blew the whole thing up. Okay. So first, a student in Carsis's academy for magical study named Shadow published a highly criticized work on the plains. His work earned him the enmity of the establishment, and he was sent into exile. All study of demiplanes and quasiplanes were banned in several cities after this paper came out. Oh, wow. I don't know what was in this paper, by the way. I have no idea what was so fucking controversial. He probably started writing an infernal like three quarters of the way through it. Maybe something. So in Carsis, though, Shadow was asked to stay and continue his studies. Carsis felt Shadow was on to something important. Shadow invited other underground researchers to help him in his investigation, and Carsis financed the whole operation. Eleven years later, with permission from Carsis himself, Shadow published another work, this time on the demiplane of Shadow, entitled Shadows, the Palpable Cohesion of Formless Corporal Reality. <laughs> This is my paper on ghosts. <laughs> Other archwizards throughout the nation suddenly realized the importance of this discovery and saw the Nemi Plane of Shadow as a perfect place for exploitation. Oh, of course. Of course. A limitless supply of shadow servants <laughs> and the source of shadow magic. Mm -hmm. They immediately lifted the ban on the demiplane research, openly encouraging all others to discover other demiplanes as well. Unfortunately, they also discovered the demiplane of imprisonment, ultimately losing a handful of arcanists to its misty confines, uh, though this loss was kept under strict secrecy. Bummer. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? You just go to jail? You just go to plane jail? Uh, Yeah, so I don't know. When it says the demiplane of imprisonment, I don't know if they're talking about some demiplane I've never heard of or if they're talking about like the lower plane carceri which is like the imprisonment abyss mm. um it's all very so you got to remember that this was written in second edition and like the cosmos has been restructured across all the editions mm -hmm. and so like we don't call the shadowfell a demiplane of shadow anymore it's called the shadowfell right but also like the way the shadowfell uh is structured and the way that the farewell is structured is totally different from the way it used to be. So 
this is stuff that kind of predates my knowledge, and I'm not entirely clear on exactly what they're talking about. Yeah, they got jailed up. Yeah, they got jailed up. And they're like, don't tell anybody that they these guys found uh, the prison of planes. <laughs> they found prison planet. <laughs> uh, disaster number two, the Ferrum. Unbeknownst to the Netherese, their enormous usage of magic was destroying the underground, underground home of malevolent and highly intelligent aberrations known as the Ferrum. The Ferrum depended on the inherent magic of nature to survive, and the Netherese were sucking up such massive amounts of weave. Barren wastelands were created where there was once lush fields and areas of wild oh, magic. Shit. So the Ferrum, in retaliation, began, began casting powerful magic drain spells across the land in year negative 496DR. The permanent magic drain spells begin draining life energies as well, slowly killing everything within their sphere of effect. Uh, they began casting this powerful spell everywhere across Netheril's lands. So, fortunately for the Netherese, the effects of the magic drain spell were visible. Near the largest flying cities, the land slowly began turning into a sandy desert. At first, the Archwizards were unconcerned. They simply flew the city to a different place. As the, <laughs> as the land's plague continued to follow the cities, however, the Archwizards knew something was wrong. Cool. But, in, but in moving the cities around, they helped establish the borders of the desert that would one day be known as the Anarak Desert, which yeah. I believe is the desert he probably took your boys yeah. too in in uh flashbang it is i pronounced the anarok but you know anarok yeah that's yeah what did i say that anarok 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 whatever yeah. fuck it it's whatever. anarok to me <laughs> for sure it sounds good as this plague progressed the arch sorry it's because when you walk through it you see a rock and then uh an rock another rock i don't know that, uh, you see a rock my bad and another rock <laughs> and another anarok anarok as this plague progressed, the Archwizards slowly discerned an intelligence working against them, the Ferrum. Mm -hmm. From time to time, powerful Archwizards would create new, more powerful spells, only to be suddenly attacked by a wave of magic-hurling Ferrum intent on the destruction. <laughs> so they look like sunflower octopus monsters with... Oh, that's right. I remember these guys. Yeah. These are still around. <clears throat> yes, they are. You want to describe it for the audience? Yeah, sure. It's like a... Um... <clears> hmm... <throat> It's like Link's hat, but bad. Okay, well, <laughs> you're not wrong. What if Link's hat is attached to him by like a, ma a sphincter full of teeth? Yeah, that also has four arms. Also has four arms and flies. And flies. I think they burrow. They do burrow. Yeah. Yeah, they do burrow. They live deep underground. Oh, here's a cool image um, from 5e Tools. Um, it's like somebody walking around in the desert. Oh, yeah, that's, that's horrifying. And then this thing is going to creep on them. Yeah, because that desert's got sandstorms and, like, lots of weird terrain because of what Will's going to get to in the notes later. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, these things suck. Yep. They suck the life out of you. They do. News of the Ferrum's open attack against the Netherese was slow to spread. However, for the Ferrum seldom left survivors, and their magic blocked most divination attempts to discover the truth behind this or that Archwizard's disappearance. So basically, like... Sections of the land are dying, cities are disappearing, wizards are disappearing, and for the most part, they're not entirely sure what's happening, but there are rumors of these fucking crazy monsters. Mm -hmm. But, like, the rumors are, like, hard to believe. Yeah, um, I can't imagine there are too many survivors encountering right. them. They're, they're, nasty, uh, they're nasty creatures, like, to <clears throat> actually fight. Yeah, yeah, I think they're pretty high CR. Mm-hmm. 
So meanwhile, Karsis discovered that the firm's magic drain was beginning to weaken the life-enduring magic he had constructed around himself, and he determined that he needed to find the source of the draining or choose a different way to stay alive. He reverted to lichdom and began experimenting with what's called heavy magic. There you go. Time to become a lich. (laughs) This graft... uh, So heavy magic is this graft of physics, chemistry, and magic... um, but, uh, oh, it's highly volatile. But Karsis believed it could destroy the denizens of the underworld, um, who he correctly believed were responsible for the ever-growing decline in available magic. Mm. So the chaotic effects of the Pharaoh's magic caused many of the Arcanists of High Nethril to flee the Empire for safer lands. Those that remained behind tried to discover a weakness they could, they could exploit in the Pharaoh, and they received some mysterious assistance from a race of creatures known as the Sharn. Mysterious tripartite aberrations that embodied magical chaos. The Ferrum were suddenly faced with a two-front war. So, like, all these high-level wizards are becoming <clears throat> um, liches? Is the madness thing still, like, a, fa- a factor here? Um, well, it would be, but not enough time is going to go by between this and the fall of the Empire. Um, again, them turning to lichdom is, like, now... This is happening now at the end of the Empire, and the only reason it's happening is because... The magic they were using to extend their lives is being sucked away by the pharaoh. Oh, I see. They so weren't liches the whole time. They weren't liches. They're the starting whole time. to now They're, out yeah. of like a necessity. necessity exactly okay. right. Yeah. Um, oh no exactly wonder right. it starts to all just fucking crumble. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. The fall and aftermath. The fall and aftermath. In negative three thirty nine dr, the archwizard Ialam disappeared. Hey, he was still around. Now he's gone. Dang. Get <laughs> so, get fucked, Ialam. You bastard. It just took 3,000 years. Yeah. Uh, several of his friends, including Karsis, believed he left Netherall because he depended heavily on magic to maintain his life. His final fate remained unknown. Okay. Panic surged through uh, uh, Netherall as the citizens learned of Ialam's disappearance, and the archwizards that remained feared that there would be a revolt. Karsis, feeling the responsibility for Netherall's future on his shoulders, felt it was his duty to weld the nation back together. He finished a spell that he'd been working on for years and then cast it upon himself. Uh-oh, okay. <clears throat> this spell, called Karsis's Avatar, was the only 12th level spell ever created. It was designed to temporarily steal the powers of a deity. When he cast the spell, he chose Mistral, the goddess of magic, in the process changing forever the way magic functions. Mm. So his body swelled with a sudden influx of godly power, his mind filled with unimaginable knowledge. Karsis instantly realized the horrible mistake he had made. <laughs> he stole the power from the one god he shouldn't have. Mistral's position called for one of the aspects of her psyche to constantly rework the weave of magic, the weave that Netheril and his glut of magic and the Pharaoh with their magic drain spells constantly threatened to unravel. When Mistral lost her ability to keep the weave of essential magic, magic in its purest, unschooled, and unfilled form intact, the inundation of magic surged and fluctuated, and the effects of all things magic... Magical doubled for a time, a short time. Mistral sacrificed herself to save the weave before the damage became irreparable. Uh, This broke Karsis' link to her magic because she dead now and (laughs) obstructed the weave, uh, causing all magic to briefly cease functioning. Okay. Because the goddess of magic is dead. There is no magic. Magic doesn't exist now. I mean, the weave is there. Kind of, but she is also is the weave. Yeah, okay. It's a little bit, it's, yeah. So it's, it's a little confusing. But um, I'm gonna sacrifice myself to save myself, but I'm not gonna work because I'm not myself. Because I'm I'm it, dead. I'm dead. You got it. That's exactly okay. right. <laughs> um, where was I? So um, without the infusion of magic, 
Without the infusion of magic, the floating citizens of Netheril all fell, and Karsus was instantly slain. His bloated body, petrified uh, and toppled from the high plateau above his floating city, and plummeted to the earth. He does this big spell and just explodes? Basically. <laughs> Fuck yeah. As his body fell, his stony eyes, still shimmering with the last glint of godly omniscience, caught a glimpse of the cities of Netheril smashing to the ground, killing all their inhabitants. His heart broke. Greed for the power of the deities themselves caused the destruction of his home, his family, his friends, and his people. Yeah. Stupid. <laughs> when Mistral reincarnated herself, this time as Mistra, mm. she used the form of a beautiful peasant girl learning the basics of cantrip magic, but with the capacities for arch wizardry. Her first priority was to recreate the weave of magic. This time, she made magic following a few more rules, and no spell above 10th level would function. By the time she was completed, she was able to save only three of Netheril's floating cities. The rest were utterly destroyed. Mm. These three, Anaria, Azram, and Holondath, were high enough above the ground to survive. The cities safely landed, and the survivors, survivors stumbled away from the cities in shock. <clears throat> Priests and priestesses of the new goddess of magic were told the story of Karsis in dreams and visions when they prayed for spells. Dang. So she made sure this motherfucker yeah. was never forgotten. Absolutely. It was Mistra's attempt to make sure that nothing like this ever happened again. Uh, yet Karsus was accredited as being the only human to have ever achieved godhood through spellcasting, even if it was only for a fleeting moment. Even if it did make him explode. <laughs> it did make him explode. Within a few short months, the inhabitants of the surviving three cities left, fearful of the pharaoh, the gods, and the orcs. Oh, God, they're back. No! <laughs> they left some. <laughs> About one-third migrated northward, with the rest traveling south to create the shadows or survivor states. Okay. <clears throat> In what was known as the end of the end... All that remained of Netheril was destroyed over 300 years. It began with, in the year negative 33 DR when Azrim, one of the three surviving cities of Netheril, was hit by the worst plague in the history of Toril. Dang. Decimating the whole population in one month. Even those who escaped the scourged area died. Uh, the last two city-states did not last much longer. And the year 111 DR, Anaria fell. It succumbed to the weight of an orc attack. And in 329 DR, Hilandath fell. Its last dying breath went unheard as the desert of Anarak consumed its fields, starving its people and sending them scurrying into the heart of Faerun. The same year, the desert finally stopped its spreading as the Sharn defeated and imprisoned the Faram deep underneath the earth, finally ending their war. So you would think that's it. That's how the empire ended. <laughs> we have gone from its inception with an alliance of seven fishing villages and crossed 3,500 years to the death of its final three cities. But that's not it. Uh, do you remember that student of Karsus who wrote those papers on demiplanes in the cosmos, Shadow? Yeah. Well, Shadow never stopped being super into demiplanes, uh, namely the Plane of Shadow. Mm -hmm. uh, and this study of the Plane of Shadow ended up extending the story of Netheril another 1,300 years as we enter the era of Empire of Shadows. I made a mirror city in the the Empire <coughs> the Empire of Shadows. <laughs> All right, so let's rewind the clock a bit. Days before Karsis's folly, Arcanist Telamont Tenthal, otherwise known as Shadow, mm. was experimenting with magic relating to the Shadow Weave and managed to shift his entire enclave of Thultanthar to the Plane of Shadow, unable to return for several weeks. When the Tenthal saw the catastrophe uh, that occurred in their absence, um, he assumed the destruction was caused by the Ferrum, and the subterranean race had dealt the final blow to the Empire. Okay. So basically, he goes to the Shadow Realm. They're stuck there for a few weeks. 
comes back. Everything's ruined. It's like, fuck. <laughs> and he doesn't know about Karsis' folly, and he thinks the Ferrum did it. Oh. Yeah. So he thinks, like, oh, shit, we lost the war. Mm-hmm. Um, so he decides to return back to the Shadow Plane in order to maintain what could be their last of their magically gifted people. <laughs> he comes out and then just, like, Homer Simpson disappearing <laughs> into the bushes yep. back in. That's exa- yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he vowed one day to return to Toriel and reestablish the Empire of Magic. The establishing of Tanthaltar's power in the Plane of Shadow due to unforeseen circumstances lasted much longer than Tanthal anticipated. For over 1,700 years, the inhabitants battled the Malagrim and other shadowy horrors of the realm, while each generation became gradually more attuned to the Plane itself, becoming what were later known as the Shadowvar. Okay. So basically, all these humans become like kind of shade shadow people. Gotcha. But okay. they're still, mo- they're like half human, half shadow. Is it Shatter Kai? Not that. They're not Shatter Kai, though. Okay. God, I don't want to get into the Shatter Kai in front of <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> Finally, in 1372 DR, after the assistance from his son, Shade Prince Rivalin, Lord Telamont returned Thultanthar Enclave to the Prime Material Plane, bringing about the reestablishment of the Netheral Empire. The Enclave came to primarily soar above the northwestern side of the Shadow Sea in the Anorak Desert. Okay. Years of influence by Shar goddess you know, of darkness mm-hmm. and the Shadowfell had greatly influenced the Netherese nobility gradually corrupting them into shades known as the Shadowvar they reestablished the Netherese empire in northern Faerun in dedication to the venerated deity of Shar and reclaimed the power and lifestyle they knew from millennia ago mm-hmm. uh, the Sharan empire of Netheril would stretch from the borders of the high ice in the north across Anorak to the far sea swamp like the ancient empire, returned Netheril was separated into the empire's floating enclaves, which were held aloft by the magic of the Shadow Weave and the terrestrial cities of Toril. Upon the return of Thulten Thard, the Shadow Enclave, a growing empire was ruled by the Shadow Lord, Most High Telamont Tanthal, Shadow. Uh, he was served over the next hundred years until the end of the 15th century by 12 of his sons, uh, the Prince of Shade, Princes of Shade. These millennia-old wizards of ancient Netheril had been greatly tainted by the Shadowfell and carried out the machinations of the Empire as agents of Shar. Yeah, you probably should have a lot of kids if you live this long, huh? I guess so. Yeah. In 1374 DR, Rivalin and his brother Brennus orchestrated a plot that brought Zembia, a young country of considerable wealth and prosperity governed by its merchants under the control of the Empire, as a vassal state. A fallen enclave of ancient Netheril, Sikors was also reascended that year, after which it was fully rebuilt and refurnished. Over the next century, the Shadow Empire of Netheril strengthened their hold over Faerun, northern Faerun. They reenacted a bloodless conquest of Featherdale in 1418 DR, by extension of their efforts of Sembia, took over Tasseldale in 1420 DR, and the lands of Scardale. All the dales. All the dales are just dropping. <laughs> Expansion continued, but perhaps too quickly, as conquered tribes of Anorak revolted against their Netherese oppressors, and regions of central and northern Faerun became outright battlefields. As the elves of Mithjanor came to the aid of the nations of the Heartlands, the armies of Sembia were staved off. Netheril now focused on Mithjanor, which is, that's a whole episode. We're not, I'm not telling you anything. Yeah, it's this, just a name to you right this now. This last three, four paragraphs have been whirl- a whirlwind for me. I'm just like, huh? Yes, I okay. know. Okay. Okay. Did you want another hour episode? Hour of episode? No, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> no, please, God, no. This is a lot. There's a lot uh, going on right. here. Netheril was focused on Myth Janor and flew the Shade Enclave over their borders. All you got to know about Myth Janor is much like Netheril, it was like super ancient, super elf town, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And 
it also fell long ago and it came back i don't know how it came back i'm not and we're not getting into how it came back right but it like mithril has come back and now they're at each other's throats we'll do the diggy we're not going to get into that yeah. right now <laughs> um so telema attempt to seize the power of return mithranor's mythal which is not the same as the mythalar it's like a big super magical barrier so that Shar could displace Mistra as the new goddess of magic of Faerun. I don't know how that would work, but apparently it would work. The Shadow Arcanist and his fellow Shadowbar agents were stopped by their fellow Netherese Arcanist, the Lich Larlock, who wanted to ab absorb the mythal for himself. Um, during the conflict, the Shadow Lord Telamont was killed by the Sage of Shadowdale, Elminster Almar. You know, the super wizard of the, the Elminster. Realms. The Elminster. Oh, cool. Mr. Elminster. Miss, Mr. Elminster. You know, he shows up in BG3. It's actually pretty cool. Oh. Um, the Shadow Enclave of Thultanthar fell upon Mithranor, and both cities were destroyed <laughs> in a disaster. Damn. To harken back to Netheril's original collapse. Just like that, both ancient powers are gone. That's like the uh, spoilers for Yu-Gi-Oh! 5Ds. That's like the end of Yu-Gi-Oh! 5Ds, where they summon the bad guy, summons the city that they're... Neo-Domino City, mm -hmm. which is new... The original Yu-Gi-Oh's got Domino City, right? Where they yeah. finally make rules for the card game. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then they summon Neo Domino City above Neo Domino City. And it's like inverse to crash it into each other so that the reactor that powers the motorcycles or something like that will like <laughs> negate itself and like warp both cities into nothingness. Okay. Or something like that. Oh, yeah. It sounds like make riveting. A, they'll make a black hole. They're going to make a black hole by okay. crashing two cities they into each other. Create a singularity. Gotcha. Yeah. So there's, there's, the card game gets the the they're playing card games on motorcycles and the, the motorcycle gets wings and the bad guy can fly. It's convenient. And uh they're flying through these two cities crashing into each other playing a card game. It's pretty cool. <laughs> sounds intense. It sounds like this. Yeah. I mean, hey, I haven't read that book, so maybe that's how it happened. In that show, they like, I'm gonna break my limits, and then they like create a Yu-Gi-Oh card mid-game. What? Yeah, they're like, I gonna do this random shit and it's I'm gonna, just gonna make up a new rule basically he literally pulls a card out of his desk out of his deck that's blank and holds it up and like the fucking thing he did like creates the thing on the card he just like knows how to use it it's got like but it's got like a fucking whole page of text it's on this little card <laughs> let's get ready for a long rest long rest time Hey everybody, welcome to the Long Rest. Uh, this is the part of the show where we, well, we, me and Will were just discussing. Was this episode helpful for anybody running their game? I would like to know, because we can we can come up with some ideas. But like, I, you know, it would have been helpful for my my FBATS campaign section where we we went here, but um, only so much of it. Like there was just a lot of information. So I, I'm I'm curious to know what you guys thought of this episode and like how much how much of it is useful or like. Is it just a fun story? Because it is. A, there, there are fun stories to listen to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So uh, this is our Patreon voted episode. So thank you guys so much once again. Um, you can support us at patreon.com slash the dungeon cast. And you can get involved in uh, voting for episodes, nominating them, all that kind of stuff. It's a lot of fun to watch people kind of debate it in the comments. And like uh, you, you road warriors that are just like throwing the same topic that doesn't get voted on in oh, every know. time. It's, it's like, ah. Keep at it. You can, you'll make it one I'm sure day. It'll happen one day. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
you know it is slim there's 12 topics there you know it's up to it's up to your fellow patrons yeah the so. next topic uh that has almost definitely won is the ethereal plane that's cool yeah, that would be cool to one. know the lore on that since mm. it gets used in a lot of spells and stuff um yeah I, our patrons must like forgotten realms and be running their games in it huh it's just the most popular um setting i mean it was always the most popular setting but when 5e made it the default setting it just became I bet you it, it's a huge subsection of the entire community's only foray into D&D is Forgotten Realms. I mean, so it's, like they truly are synonymous. It and, is convenient to run games there just yeah. because there's so much established stuff you can like kind of pick and choose. So I, yeah. I, I run two, I've run two games in Forgotten Realms now, so I'm kind of yeah. there. Uh, but yeah, let's get into the, the patrons and shout out people that we owe shout outs to that have come in over the last, what, like three weeks it's been since we recorded. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we got Kirkus Hera. Thank you, Kirkus. Thank you, Kirkus. Woo. Woo. We got Ogus Siddick. Thank you, Ogus. Ogus? It's O-G-U-Z. Ogus. 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 Thank you, Ogus. Siddick. Thank you. Annual subscriber. <laughs> there we go. We got Connor. Thank you, Connor. We got JQ Williams. Thank you, JQ Williams. Woo! Woo! We got Zach Zerowich. Thank you, Zach. Uh, Zach has upgraded from a thank you to a woo! Woo! Sorry, I'm <laughs> sick. <laughs> we got a Demogorgon cult leader. Thank you, Demogorgon cult leader. Shout out to Demogorgon. Um, Shout out to Demogorgon. What do we say for for you of a denomination such as this? I don't know. Maybe we'll just do a bunch of air horns. Are they? Uh, or are they like a, a YouTube channel member? Is that what it is? No, they no. are a they are a monthly Patreon subscriber oh. of a substantial amount. <laughs> And then uh, the guy hitting the air horns calls the bartender over, and they like start pouring shots into people's mouths, like over the counter. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Like that, that's this one. Awesome. Um, we got Jeffrey Rondow. Thank you, Jeffrey. I think it's Rondow. Rondo. Whatever. Uh, we got Zach Ochoa. Thank you, Zach. Woo, woo. <laughs> we got Kelly Lanier. Thank you, Kelly. Holy smokes, Kelly. You got a bunch of air horns, too. Just imagine, like, like somebody pouring a bucket of dice onto a dance floor and, like, somebody breakdancing and the dice flying everywhere. God, all those D4s. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> they don't care. They keep dancing. Uh, Meteor 13. Thank you, Meteor 13. Annual subscriber. Uh, we got Kevin Devault. Thank you, Kevin. Um, they annual they doubled their annual subscription. Thank you. Oh wow! Kevin Thank DeVault. you. Thank you. <laughs> annual subscriber. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Christian Leva Lopez. Thank you, Christian. Thank you. That's it. That's what All we got. Right. Thank Thanks, you, everyone. We really appreciate you guys, and thank you for everyone who. Um, is donating continues to donate um we've got a, we have a lot of people that have just been on our patreon for a long long time and we really appreciate you guys you you keep the ship floating and um we don't send the ship into spelljammer space to fuck with people to vivisect the other species yeah behind. um 
Let's see. Check us out. Let's move on to the normal long rest stuff, shall we? Mm, mm, um, mm. We we did Patreon. We'll do like YouTube or um, or something like that next episode or the next two episodes. We'll do maybe one one episode for YouTube comments, one episode for um, iTunes reviews. iTunes reviews. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, works for me. Yeah, check us out. Uh, leave an iTunes review. Um, we read them on the show, uh, at least most of them or a, a good chunk of them. Uh, leave a YouTube comment, a subscribe, and a like. That stuff really helps the algorithm promote the show, which is great. Uh, like, you know, the algorithm just means it's like a word of mouth by machines. Word of machine. Uh, we've got uh, social media, like Instagram. We've got, um, oh, are you going to? Go ahead. We're on threads. Uh, we're on Mastodon. We are on uh, X, formerly known as Twitter. Um, and on Discord. All the links are in the description. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we have a PO box and we have an email address that are also in the notes below that you can hit us up at. Uh, let's see. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at soundgoodinc. I don't post a whole lot, but you can see my turtle mostly on the weekends when it's sunny and I can get a good photo. They're not like trapped in a, not trapped in a bush. They like to take lazy naps in thick bushes. Um, yeah, that's it. Thanks for listening to the show. <laughs> we'll call it a game. We'll, we'll call it a game. Bye. The Dungeon Cast. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story. Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.